0: Now, we're going to turn to Psalm 78, which, as you all know, is the second longest psalm in the Bible, and well, you know now. So, we will not be looking at all of it. We'll see how we go. We're going to look at it for a while and then uh, take communion uh, together. Uh, it was great to hear Neil and Jenny, and just uh, great to have you guys with us, and also um, hearing about you praying in the hospital. Uh, I happened to be in hospital again this week, and... Uh, I had a, had a great time because one of the nurses sat and talked with me, and we talked about the Lord, and we talked about healing, and we talked about prayer and everything else, which you're, you're, apparently you're not supposed to do. But she was from Zimbabwe, so she didn't care. <laughs> she, was just, she was just absolutely lovely, and I just thought it was, that, was, that was real health care. What we're going to look at this evening is something that's very, very important to us and it's very important in God's Word here. And it, it is memory. Now, memory is an incredible thing. Uh, as many of you are aware, dementia uh, is increasing in our culture and society. And um, dementia is an awful thing. For those of you who've experienced it, you know it. Because it's an awful thing, because it takes away our memory. Now, Psalm 77, this previous psalm, had spoken about... Um, the fear of memory, and also the tonic of real memory. But when we think about memory, just think how important it is. So think, for example, history or personal memory. Um, I don't know if you've been to see the film Dunkirk. We went to see it, and I, I think these films are important. And I'll tell you why I think they're important, because I think it's important that we remember where we came from. Uh, when Annabelle saw it, it reminded her of her father who was in the Merchant Navy during the war. Um, You know, these things happened, and it's amazing that as a nation, we forget these things so quickly. One of the things that was interesting about the film, and also about other things, is that um, it didn't mention that uh, Winston Churchill called the nation to a day of prayer uh, because the situation was so dire. It's good for us to remember that. I think also, Um, Personal things in terms of memory. I was at a funeral on Saturday of my old elder uh, and teacher Neil MacArthur, who uh, I've known for forty years. And just going to the school and going to his house. The first time I went to his house, I wasn't a Christian, and he prayed. And the chair that he prayed in was still there, and he just sat there, and just uh, and all these memories come into your mind, and it was particularly poignant. Because Neil had lost his memory in the last couple of years through um, dementia. So, memory is really important. Now, one of the most wicked things I've heard ever, I think. You may think this is not wicked, but I do. I think it's dreadful. Google at one point said that they wanted to do away with memory. That human beings wouldn't need memory because they would have Google. Google. And there's a danger in that. So for example, children, when you're in school and learning, you may think, well, why do I need to know how to do things? I can just look it up, I can press a button. Well, I'll tell you why it's a dangerous thing. Because if you give your memories to somebody else, they're no longer your memories. You're being told what happened and you don't think about things for yourself. We need memories. it's all very well to have Facebook. And every now and then, Facebook comes up. Five years ago, this happened. Ten years ago, this happened. And that's quite nice. And it's nice to have the photos. Sometimes it's not so nice. But it's, it's okay. But we need to remember. And we need to reflect. And we need to think. Now, that's what this psalm is about. It's, it, it, it appears when you, we read this psalm, it, it appears that it's kind of a little bit like somebody who says, I remember when, and then goes off on a ramble, but it's not a ramble. It's a very structured psalm. Verses 1 to 8, we'll read in a moment, that's the introduction. Verses 9 to 11 are a kind of preface to the first part, which is verses 12 to 39, um, looking at God's acts, and we, we certainly won't go get beyond that this evening. It's a song about God, it's a song about his deeds and his acts. It's a song that expects us to know and memorize and remember God's history. I know it's a cliche, but I, I, when I became a Christian, I went off to university and studied history at university, and I always remembered history is his story. I mean, I know that's trite, I know it's, but it's still the case. It, it, it is what God does in this world Across in Psalm 77 and verse 11, we read this, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Well, let's read verses 1 to 8. A mask of Asaph. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Every generation has a duty to pass on its sacred tradition to the next generation according to the will of God. Now, Another big lie that gets told in our culture, and to my utter horror, I know Christians who accept this. They say we have to be neutral and then let our children make up their own minds. So I know parents who'll say, well, if our children want to go to church, they can go. If they don't want to go, we don't want to force them. They don't say that about food. They don't say that about many other things but it's part of where we're at in our culture that that's, oh no, no, you can never, you shouldn't, no, you shouldn't do that to children. But children are always being taught things and it's what they're being taught that the Bible is concerned with. There is no neutrality when you teach your children. It's good to see some boys and girls here and those of you who are under seven, you're in a great position because your brain's still developing. Apparently after seven, your brain stops. Well, I, I don't know if that's true. My medical knowledge is somewhat limited. But, um, you know, you just you, 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 when you're young, you just so many, you're developing so quickly. Your, your mind develops. Now's the time to learn. And here's the astonishing thing. Things that you learn now, when you're five and six and seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, by the time you get to teen years, you're pretty brain dead. But um, the, when you learn these things as a child, you'll be, one day you might be 80 or 90 years old and you'll be remembering them. It really is quite astonishing how the Lord has designed the human mind. And that's why it's important we learn God's word. Deuteronomy 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The psalmist says, I will open my mouth with a parable. It's very interesting. A parable. An illustration from one area of life to apply to spiritual teaching. It was the way that Jesus taught. This verse is quoted in Matthew 13, verse 35. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables... I will utter hidden things since the creation of the world. Sometimes, uh, just let me say as an aside, in terms of our teaching, we give the impression that it's very didactic and it's you know almost scientific and logical and so on. And I I love that, and, and it is. But our teaching is also illustrative. It's it's stories and elsewhere, but it's it's teaching. What God says to us in His Word and teaching here, particularly from history. We are to teach according to the will of God. He decreed statutes for Jacob, verse 5. He established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children. This is maybe a bit of a strong statement. But if you, as a Christian parent, do not teach your children what God says, and instead allow them to be taught according to the whims of the current culture, which will have changed by the time they grow up, then I'm afraid you're engaging in a kind of abuse. You have a responsibility to teach your children now how God works in their life and what happens, but you have that primary responsibility. And it's very strongly emphasized that we are to teach the deeds and the words of the law. And this this absolute certainty of the Word of God. Now, again, the devil's greatest trick is to get us to doubt the Word of God. And it is beyond appalling that in our culture today, in churches today, there are those who rewrite the Word of God to suit the new generation. And what they're doing is they are betraying both the Word of God and the children, It really is appalling that that does happen, but it does happen. Why are we told to teach our children, verse 7, so that they would put their trust in God and that they would keep his deeds and commands in mind and avoid the errors of the past? Because isn't that interesting? One of the things you need to teach your children is don't be like us, don't be like our generation. They were a stubborn, says verse 8, and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God. I think one of the most important things we need to teach our children and young people today is not, we need to go back to what it was like in the 1980s, 1970s, 1960s, 1950s. Some of us don't remember that, but I, I, I don't think that's where what we need to be teaching our children. We need to teach our children the word of God. And then we need to hold our hands up and say, our generation betrayed you. Our generation was materialistic and greedy. We were the baby boomers who ignored God. We were people who grew up in a Christian country with all the advantages and threw it all away. And we've left you a desert. And we need to teach them the word of God so that they can see where we went wrong Verses uh, nine, well, I think, sorry, let me just add a little bit more to that. Um, This whole thing leads to a kind of personal trust and an informed, uh, humble thinking, obedience, contrasted with that stubbornness and rebellion. And I think that's why it's important for us to learn history and, and to think what's happened and to understand what God says. Because to understand the past is quite difficult. And as we go and sit at the Lord's table, remember, it is a memorial meal. This do, says Jesus, in remembrance of me. And it's just reminding us what he has done. Let's read verses 9 to 11. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. This is the kind of little preface. And it's asking the question now it's, it's a great question the men of Ephraim who were they he's talking about Saul because that was where Saul was from and he's talking about the fall of Saul 1 Samuel 31 Saul's death how Saul turned away from God Saul was from Ephraim and he's asking why did it happen why did this king fall why did this church collapse why, why did everything go wrong Because the way he frames the question is fascinating. Though they were armed with bows, these men were the supreme archers of their day, and they could, you know, they were the if you like, just think of Robin Hood, and they could just um, kill people at a great distance. They were they were brilliant bowmen. They were very well equipped. And what God is saying to his people here is, it's not the resources that you have, it's who you follow. It's loyalty and obedience. They did not keep God's covenant. They forgot what God had done. They were were strong, and they were powerful, and, you know, Saul was good-looking, and so was his family, and they had everything going for them, and yet they forgot what God had done. In Christian circles, sometimes we speak of the term backsliding some of you i suspect most of you who are christians know what that is from personal experience well i tell you the number one reason why we backslide it's because we forget what god has done we forget verse 12 he did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of egypt in the region of Zoan, he divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the sea. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like fire. What of course has been spoken of here is the exodus and the Red Sea crossing and They're talking about God's power over everything, how they saw the plagues, they saw the Red Sea splitting, they followed the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. They had real testimony about that, just as we do in the New Testament, when John says in 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. See, sometimes we like to say or think, if I can recall God's experience in my life, that's sufficient. That's what I need. Actually, God's experience in your life could be misunderstood. What we need to recall is God's working that's recorded for us in Scripture, which is recorded infallibly. This is what God did, and it's interpreted for us as well. We have that in the whole of the Bible. We have that in both Old and New Testament. And here, God's people are being reminded, God gave you provision. God cared for you. Sometimes as Christians, I think what we do is we say, Lord, where are you? Lord, what have you done? And the Lord has to remind us, but this is what I did for you. This is what I did for you. This is what I did for you. you but they forget, because sometimes it appears that the more God gives us, the more ungrateful we become. We're like the nine of the 10 lepers who are marvelously healed and then just walk away. I sometimes wonder if the lack of gratitude is a reason why sometimes we're so joyless. And so what happens from verse 17? is God's judgment. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. They said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? True. He struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was furious. His fire broke out against Jacob, and his wrath rose against Israel, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let loose the east wind from the heavens, And by his power made the south wind blow. He rained meat down on them like dust. Birds like sand on the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp. All around their tents. They ate till they were gorged. He had given them what they had craved. But before they turned from what they craved. Even while the food was still in their mouths. God's anger rose against them. He put to death the sturdiest among them. Cutting down the young men of Israel. In spite of all this. They kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. This section is taken from Numbers 11 and Exodus chapter 16. They tested God. They disbelieved in his power to provide food and water. They didn't ask for food for their need. They asked for their greed. Just as in the New Testament, James says this, James 4, you do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, we don't like the health and wealth gospel in this church, but I think we come very close to it sometimes because so often we seek God's blessings, but not God. So I've heard from you, from some of you, and I've heard from myself. But Lord, the Lord is not blessing me because I haven't met a partner, because I don't have a job, because I've been sick, because I was ill and I prayed for healing and it didn't happen, because I'm having a really tough time at work because of this, and because of that, and because of everything else. Well, God, what what is God doing to me? Why doesn't God like me? And the devil comes in and says, God is not good. And you go, yeah, you're right, because I wouldn't treat me like this. And you know what's wrong, and you will never get out of that trap. You will never get out of that mess. You will never get out of that discouragement and spiritual oppression if you don't grasp this. I'm going to quote from Augustine for a change. Those, commenting on this psalm, he says, those who seek God for the sake of temporal blessings do not seek God, but things. With these, God is worshipped with slavish fear, not free love. Thus, God is not really worshipped, for the thing that is worshipped is the thing which is loved. Therefore, because God is found to be greater than better than all things, he must be loved more than all things in order that he may be worshipped. Therefore, the heart is right with God when it seeks God for the sake of God. So you come here and you're seeking God and you're saying, Lord, I've come and I'm, you're going to provide me with a partner or you're going to provide me with a, more money or you're going to provide me with health or you're going to provide me with lots of things that are really good. You're not worshiping God. Not at all. You're doing what the Israelites did testing God's faithfulness. But God is faithful. The bread and the wine we have before us remind us of that. How many times do we complain when we do not get what we desire, not realizing that this could be the mercy of God? They complained, all right. Did the same with Jesus. What sign will you give us? Go on, do this. Do this for us you are missing out on so much if you, think, if you seek the thing that is signified. Let, let, let me put it this way. Let's say you want to get married and um, you're, I don't know, um, a young man and you're very wealthy and you have lots and lots of young women who want to marry you. How do you know that they want to marry you because of your charm, your good looks, they like you as a character, or whether they want to marry you for your money? That's actually quite difficult. You know, um, there are lots of reasons that someone might want to marry someone. They might want to marry them because they're popular. They might want to to marry them because they're good-looking, because they're very physically attracted to them. They might want to marry them because they've got lots of money. But what happens when the money goes? What's happened when the good looks disappear? Uh, Believe it or not, I once used to be handsome. Um, what, What happens with that? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Yeah. If you really love somebody, if you're prepared to commit to them, and if you love them, not for what you can get from them or what they can give you. Well, that's the same kind of thing here. And what did it lead to? It led to God's wrath. Verse 21, when the Lord heard them, he was furious. Verse 31, God's anger rose against them. The tragedies of life are sometimes, or well, we need to perceive them often, actually, as just as much the providence of God as the kind acts of God. Now, that you have to be very careful with that because we're not saying, look, if something bad happens to you, it's because you've been bad, it's because you're being punished. But please don't go to the other extreme, which says, well, nothing bad that happens to me happens because I've rejected God. Actually, you make choices in your life, and the choices always have consequences. And that's what this psalm is, is, is telling us. But then there's God's love. Look at verse 34, and with this we'll, we'll finish. Um... Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again. You know, God had to punish us in order for him to seek him. They remembered that God was their rock, that God Most High was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh a passing breeze that does not return. The Lord knows his people's hearts and he knows when you're being fake. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't it, how we think we can fool God. When you come with all the spiritual language, I have to say as a minister, one of the things I hate more than anything else is spiritual language pouring out from people who never seem to show it. And if I see that sometimes, and I hate it myself as well, just using all the religious jargon when your heart's far from God. But the Lord sees. And it it must terrify us in some way. God sees all this fake stuff that I do, all this pretense. God sees and God knows. What must he think of me? Well, he doesn't want like in Hosea 6, verse 1, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. That verse is often quoted as, this is repentance. No, it's not. The point of Hosea is it was fake. They were using these words, and they didn't mean it. But look what it says, and I love this. He is the rock. They remembered that God was their rock. When he struck the rock at Horeb and came from the rock, been told, well, our God is the rock. We're not the rock. We go up and down like yo-yos. We're all over the place spiritually, emotionally, physically. But God is the rock. And look, verse 38. He was merciful. He forgave their iniquities. And the word for mercy is such a terrible translation, I think, because it, it, it carries this idea of absolutely passionate love that God loves us, pathetic, weak, rebellious, stubborn creatures. The verb carries this idea of to cover, but not just, you know, like covering a cloth that's covering the bread there, but more, um, you would get this, there was this couple, I can't remember, I don't even know if you're here tonight, but they're telling me during the week, in fact, it was last Sunday, that they went into a restaurant and a young couple, and they gave thanks for their food. And afterwards, they went to pay the bill, and the uh, owner said, uh, No, your bill's been paid. Some, and they and said, They left you a wee note, and it was just a verse from the Bible. So uh, the girl was telling me that all her friends now want her to go out with them and pray, <laughs> so that, see if someone will pay the bill. But you know what? I said? The bill's covered. Isn't that lovely? Went down to the garage yesterday, a wee bit of a surprise how much I had to pay. How nice it would have been (laughs) if I had the bills covered. It's paid for. Here's the marvelous thing about the gospel. You, you, You grasp and understand how rebellious you've been against God, how twisted and deceitful. And how rubbish, to be honest, your faith is. You thought it was so great, and it's not. And God comes and shows you. And you think, well, that's it. I'm done. And then as we sang this morning, we hear Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And here's the sad thing. Though they're told this, yet they still do not trust him. He remembered that they were but flesh. And yet he still loved them. Maybe not the best way of thinking of this, but I can't think of it any other way. Sometimes there is a spiritual dementia where we forget and forget and forget what God has done. I mentioned Neil MacArthur. I went to see his widow before the funeral. She told me just a lovely story. Neil's a very, very intelligent man. And for him to lose his mind was for his family an incredibly distressing thing. Except for this. He said she'd be up in bed, and sometimes he wouldn't even recognize her. And then he would say this, have we said the books yet? Now that was family worship, prayer, reading the Bible, singing a psalm. Neil never went a day in his life without doing that. So for him to ask it, it it caused her great sorrow because... You know, how could he even forget that? But then he would pray. And she said, when I heard him pray, it was like he's in a different world. His prayers were extraordinary, even with the dementia. And you know, maybe in the Lord's mercy, he was. He certainly is now. And he certainly has no problems with memory or forgetfulness or anything else. It's funny how we want to cling on in this world, isn't it? We want to hold on to what we've got. And God says, no, no, no. There's so much more. There's so, so much more. John 6, 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, quoting this psalm, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. They're thinking back. You gave us this sign. What sign are you going to give us? Jesus says, I am the sign. I am the bread. And once you get me, you'll never be hungry and you'll never be thirsty. You'll never forget. You just, that's it. Last Sunday evening, um, I came down and I had two minds because of the way that I was feeling whether I would come. And I was so joyful to be here. Not because... Sinclair preached, and the singing was brilliant, and Sinclair preached brilliantly, and all the rest of it. But just simply, because what he did was give us Christ from his word. I just thought, that's all... I, I would travel thousands of miles to be given Christ from his word. And that's what Christ has, has done for us. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. Let's remember the past, remember what God has done so that we may live in the present and look forward to the future. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless it to us and help us as we sit at your table. Forgive us for our ingratitude. Forgive us, O Lord, for our coldness. Forgive us for the anger that we cause you because you give us so much and we turn to you and say, but what have you given us? You gave your only son and we complain that you don't give us trinkets. Lord, have mercy on us and give us Christ in your name. Amen. We're going to sing before we take communion. We're going to sing. um